0: Good morning, uh, my name is Landon Linkfelter, I'm the uh, college intern here at Kingsville, I'm not the guy that normally preaches, so don't let me run you off if this is your first time. Uh, come back next week, see what it's really like. Um, I'm honored to be here this morning to preach, um, to stand from this pulpit and, and preach, uh, it's a pulpit that I've learned so much and, and learned so much about God's word and been discipled for so many years, and to be able to stand here and preach from it is an honor and a privilege. To be able to stand here and preach uh, to you, who all of you have played a legitimate part in my discipleship, in my coming to know Christ, in my growing in Him, it is a truly a, a privilege and an honor. And I'm going to have to stop myself there, uh, because we got a lot of ground to cover. don't have time for all the sentimental stuff. And because I don't want to start crying... I figure between Steve and Kevin, we have enough crying preachers. We don't need any more. <clears throat> so, just up front, let me tell you what my task is today. It's to expose the text. If you've come here today to hear what Landon has to say about love, that's just foolish in the first place, and you will be disappointed. Um, I, I want to talk. I want to expose what God has said about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in his word. So I believe, I know we haven't been going through 1 Corinthians as a as a church, um, but we, we did as a college group, and after studying it and walking through it with them, I believe that chapter 13 is actually the pinnacle of 1 Corinthians. It's kind of the mountaintop, right? The whole book, I think, can be summarized as a book about love or what a church looks like whenever it lacks and desperately needs a legitimate Christian, Christ-like love. So I hope that we with fresh eyes can see a very familiar passage. I know that whether you've grown up in church or not, you've heard this passage along the way somewhere in the south, right? That's where we're at. So you've, you've, we've all heard this, this passage, and I know that it's hard to sometimes listen to a sermon on such a familiar, familiar passage. But my prayer is that the Lord just open our eyes to see afresh his word. So let's pray before we dive in and just ask for the Lord's help because unless he intervenes, um, this will all be for, for nothing. So let's pray. Father, as we open up your word and we read it and we study it together, we ask for your grace. We ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to intervene and to teach us and give us understanding and Father, our prayer is David's prayer in Psalms 139. Search us, O God. Know our heart, Try us and know our thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Father, make us into a people characterized by love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in order to to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 what we need help with is the the context right the other day I went to a movie and I had an important phone call rise it started I missed the first 20 minutes of it and I came back and I was like what's going on so to avoid that what we need to talk about how did Paul get to this place of 1 Corinthians 13 so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just briefly I'm really going to, I'm just going to summarize it right so we're going to pay attention to how he enters this discussion of love. So in chapter twelve, I put on your outline these three summary, my three summary statements of chapter twelve, what he just got done talking about. Is one, he says that there's one spirit who gifts the people of God uniquely. So you, you can see that in the beginning of chapter twelve, he's talking about the spiritual gifts, right? So one spirit gifts the people of God uniquely. These uniquely gifted people work together as one body, right? He talks about the individuals of the church being like many parts of the same body right they they're uniquely gifted by the spirit and they work together as one body and the body exists its purpose is to serve the other members and ultimately serve the head Jesus the head of the body who is Christ so let's look at the very last verse of chapter 12 and how he enters in to chapter 13 he says in verse 31 the uh, end of Verse 31, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Okay, so that's the last statement we get right before we start chapter 13. Uh, and so my question is, when I read that, is a more excellent way than what? And a more excellent way to, to do what? Right, those are the questions rolling around my mind. Um, well, what he just got done talking about. This is a more, he's about to give us a more excellent way than the gifts then the spiritual gifts, right? Then to do, to do what with that? A more excellent way to serve the body and the head. So hopefully you can see how that makes sense coming out of chapter 12. So what is this more excellent way than the gifts to serve the body and to serve Christ? It's love. It's chapter 13. It is love. It is the greatest tool that we have to serve one another. And in doing so, worship and live a life that worships Christ. So this passage, um, while it's a great passage to read at weddings, it's not about marriage at all. It's not what Paul had in mind. What Paul had in mind is this room right here. right? Paul had in mind brotherly love right, between brothers and sisters in Christ in the context of a church. That's what he had in mind. Does it include marriage? You bet. But this is beyond marriage. This is our relationship that we have with one another, our relationship that we have with our neighbors outside these walls. So... Now that we got that out of the way, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned... If I have not love, I gain nothing. Paul begins with very dramatic language, right? On your outline, this is how I summarize these verses. Christian love is necessary. It is necessary for the Christian life. Love is, right? Love is necessary to move an action from nothing, Paul uses that word nothing, to an act of worship. Uh, Paul uses the spiritual gifts as the first examples, right? He says, if I speak in the tongues, if I have prophetic powers, uh, if I have all knowledge, the tongues, uh, prophecy, knowledge, these these spiritual gifts, they just got done talking about, right? He says, but all all those things are nothing without love. And he even moves on beyond just spiritual gifts, but he goes on to uh, giving away everything that he has and delivering up his body to be burned right, for his faith. He said, even that, even that great act would be nothing, Without love. A very dramatic language. And we don't seem to think in these terms. Or at least we don't speak in these terms, right? Um, So we say, okay, we got a team uh, over there in Ecuador. We say, that's great. You know, they're over there serving, they're over there preaching Christ. We say, great. And what the Bible says is, more information is needed, right? Because if the team goes and serves and preaches the gospel, but without love for God and his people then they might as well not have gone at all. Right? So we, we ask the question, what does God want with our service? Right? Uh, does God want us to go overseas because who else would or, or because it's, only, it's what only serious gospel-minded churches do? Right? So, Kingsville, go ahead and send a group on over to Ecuador for me. Does God look at our service just at, at face value? Right? Oh, Landon fed the poor with a horrible attitude. At least they got fed. No, wrong. It's not how God views things. It's not how the Bible talks about it, right? God wants our heart. He wants our affection. He wants our love to the extent that he would say in verse 3, if you give away everything and die as a martyr for me, and you do it without love, you've gained nothing. It's as if you've done nothing at all. I mean, what did Jesus say the first and second greatest commandment were? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And the second is love it. I mean, I uh, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Without love, um, we cannot please God. So God doesn't want us to just do things for the sake of doing them, right? He wants us to love him and each other so much that we do these things. He wants us to be a people that love him, love his glory, Love a group of people called the Sotula that we may or may not have ever met so much that we'd be willing to give up money, we'd be willing to give up time in prayer, we'd be willing to go overseas and do the most loving thing we can, and that is tell them about their Creator, right? That's what the Lord wants from us, is our our heart and our affection, our love. So we can see how the Corinthian church suffered because they lacked this necessity called love. They, they had a serious love problem and you can see it in their church, right? So simple Christian love solves their problems, right? Or I'll say it this way. A lack of simple Christian love created a lot of problems for the Corinthians. We'll, just, we'll breeze through these. But, I mean, divisions in chapters 1 and 3. I followed Paul. I followed Paulus. They were, they were dividing in their own midst, right? Because they lacked love for one another. They wrongfully judged Paul right because they Paul wasn't like them, he wasn't like a Corinthian, he wasn't uh good looking and and good with his words, right, and so they they judged him, he had to defend himself they 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 had a, chapter five, you have a man sleeping with his father's wife, right, and the the church doesn't love him enough to address it right in fact, they're boasting in it. sexual morality addressed in five and six, you have lawsuits against themselves a, among members. Suing each other over things and going to worldly courts and not selling it amongst themselves. Chapter six, chapter seven, you have this this skewed view of marriage and singleness that Paul has to address. Um, Chapters eight through ten, they're not surrendering their rights. They don't even love each each other to give up the things that they're entitled to in order to serve one another. Uh, Chapter eleven, you have selfishness in the Lord's Supper. You have one man getting drunk and one man getting hungry while they're all supposed to be taking part in the Lord's Supper. I mean, this church was missing a main ingredient in their walk with the Lord. And what was it? It was love. And Paul addresses it head-on here in chapter 13. So the question is, what is this love, then? What exactly is this that they're missing? And he spells it out for us. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind... Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Christian love, I think Paul's saying, Christian love is evidential. It's evidential. It it shows itself. Right? It produces evidence in one's life. Um, just real quick explanation, I think, of verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I think what he's essentially saying is love doesn't suspect the worst in someone or hope for the worst in someone, but love does rather the opposite. It, it expects, it hopes, it longs for the best case scenario, I think is what he's getting at there. So uh, I'm not going to go through this list and expect talk about and explain each one of these characteristics because I think we all know what patience is and kindness is and arrogance is, right? So I don't think that's the best use of our time. What I'm going to do instead is I want to make three observations uh, about this list that may help us understand what Paul's getting at. So the first observation I want to make there on the outline is, is love is costly. Love is costly. You look at each of these characteristics of what love is, and we can see how it would cost someone to be these things. Right? Let me explain. Love, um, love is patient. What does patience cost? Cost costs your own agenda. Right? What does kindness cost? It costs your own resources, oftentimes. What does not envying or not boasting or not being arrogant or rude cost? It costs your own self-image. Uh, what does not insisting on your own way cost? Well, it costs your own way. It costs your own seeing your own way accomplished, right? This whole description of love can be summarized in this overarching loving principle, this characteristic, and that is self-sacrifice, right? You you have to be prepared to sacrifice something or or else you will not be loving, right? Without self-sacrifice, there is no love. Where love increases, a readiness and a willingness to pour out oneself increases, This is why Jesus' self-sacrificing death is the best demonstration of love we've ever known, right? Which leads me to our second observation, um, that this description of love is seen perfectly fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This description of love can be perfectly seen in who Jesus is, right? Christ perfectly exhibits patience. He perfectly exhibits kindness without fail. He he perfectly did not envy or boast or was not arrogant or rude, right? He perfectly did not even insist on his own way in the garden. He said, Lord, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He submitted himself to the Father's will. So Christ perfectly exhibits this patience. And I think it's the most tragic thing in the world to watch a... a A lost world hopelessly searched for a legitimate love and fulfilling love, all the while continuing to reject Jesus, the only one who can perfectly love us. Right? And if that's you, I want you to hear this this morning that Jesus loves you perfectly and without fail. Perfectly and without fail. It's a lie of the devil. The devil comes in and says, no one can love someone like you. The Bible comes in and says, Jesus can and has loved someone like you, right? He loves us. And, and love doesn't mean God accepts you for who you are. Praise God. God doesn't accept us for who we are. God accepts us for who Christ is, right? That's what the gospel is. When Christ died on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserved, our sin. He took that and paid for it. And in its place, he gave us something. He gave us his righteousness. So now when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see the sinners that we are. He sees his son, righteousness, clothed over us. Christ loves us enough to promise to change us. He loves us enough to give us his spirit so that we're not the same that we were. Right? Which brings me to my third observation of this list. And this is probably the most important. If you've zoned out and you're looking for a good place to jump back in, here it is. It's right here. This list, First Corinthians 13, is not, I'm sorry, it, it is a list of descriptions, not a list of instructions. Okay? This list in First Corinthians 13 is a list of descriptions, not a list of, of instructions. So people read this. We often do this. They read this chapter and they walk away and this is what they say. They say, I should be more patient. I should be more kind. I should be less envious and less boastful, less arrogant, right? And therefore, I'll be more loving. This is not how Paul wanted us to read this this passage, I don't think. He didn't want us to walk away thinking that. Right. So this isn't a to do list, right? Where you wake up and say, Patience, got it, kindness, got it. No arrogance. Sure, got it today, right? This is not a to-do list. This was more of a litmus test, right? That Paul's giving us. Uh he's saying he isn't saying do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. He's saying, Examine yourself. Right? He's saying this right here, Corinthians. This is what true love looks like. So is this what you look like? Examine yourself against this test. We've always heard, I always have, I'm sure you have as well, heard the uh, phrase, love is a choice, right? You've, give me some affirmation that we've heard that before. Yeah, love is a choice. Um, and it certainly is. But it goes beyond, it has to go just beyond just a decision of the will, right? Right? Um, let me explain so love is patient right we know that um, so when I come around Landon comes around and he starts being annoying like I so often do right I'm testing your patience on accident most of the time not trying to um, I'm testing your patience and you, and you say okay love is a choice so even though I'm frustrated with Landon I'm going to choose to uh, show him some patient love uh, I would say that you made the right decision that was a good decision of you thank you I'm glad that you did that. Um, but your love for me is not yet what it ought to be, according to scripture, right? It's not yet what it ought to be. It shouldn't just be your will deciding to show me patient love, right? It should be your heart desiring to show me patient love, responding in patient love. There's been times when I had to make the decision to love somebody, right? And I'm glad I did after after the fact, the Lord continued to work in my heart, and then there was no longer a decision to be made. Right? I I just willingly love that person enough to respond in patience and in kindness. Right? So I can hear it. I can hear what you're thinking. Why are we making this distinction? Right? Why am I, why am I talking about this for so long? Um. Because if you're like me, you're realizing something. You realize you, fail, you failed this test, right? You failed the examination that Paul's given us here, um, and, and our, our love is not what it should be, right? For me, it's, I, it jumps out of the page. It's not rejoicing at wrongdoing. I'm, so, I'm such a prideful and not loving creature sometimes. I actually rejoice at other people's wrongdoings because it makes me look better. I, yeah, I failed this test. I'm sure that you probably feel in the same way. You yeah, know, this isn't, this, I don't read this passage and it just screams Landon, right? So we failed. I want that to sit for a second. We failed this test. We're all going to the same place. We all have the same question in our mind now. It's what do we do now? What are we supposed to do whenever we realize we failed this love test, right? Our love doesn't look like this, Paul. So what do you got for us, you know? I want my love to look like this. What do we do? If love was only a choice, and this is what we do. We roll up our spiritual sleeves, we get out there, and we try harder to make the right choices. It doesn't sound very biblical, does it? If love is more than a choice, then there's nothing we can do about it. And that's the point. Nothing that we can do about it. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, Your love is rotten. Look at what love is. This is not what your love is. Your love is absolutely rotten to the core and you can't do much about it. So go see the one who can do something about it. That's who Paul wants us to appeal to. He wants us to feel helpless in our own power and appeal to another power, a greater power. Appeal to Christ. Right. Think about Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. Now the fruit of the Spirit is, what's it, right off the bat? Love, yeah. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. If we lack it, we should depend all the more on God to produce it in us. We don't, we don't dig deep and say, Love, patience, come on, get it out. Right? It's not in there. I'm wicked. Right? I need the help of the Lord to produce this. This is the present, presence of the Spirit in me that produces these things like love and patience and kindness. Right? What does this look like? What does this dependence look like on God and this appealing to a, to, to the Lord's power and not our own strength? Well, it looks like prayer. It looks like pouring over God's Word right, every day. It looks like looking to the examples of love that we have among us, which we are not short on in this in this church. We have so many godly examples of Christ-like love. Take your pick around you and and. Model yourself after it, right? You might be wondering today. This might be a good question that you probably had: Is what qualifies Landon to to preach on love this morning to us? That's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll be straight with you. I'm not. I'm not qualified. I'm unqualified to preach on this. So I'm, I'm hiding behind the authority of God's word here. But if it were just considering my actions, I wouldn't just be unqualified. I would say I'd, I'd be disqualified to preach. To a group of people like yourself, on a topic like love, um, for so long, I let differences undermine my love for people, right? Oh, because we we don't have theology, we don't have the same view of theology on this point or that point. I just I am really struggling loving you, brother. You know, or hey, we we view politics differently. We might have voted differently, and so that completely undermined my love. Where I can't even show you this patience or kindness, right? Or, or culturally, because we're, we're different people fundamentally. We were raised differently. I'm having a hard time loving you, but man, it's easy to love people in my camp, right? So long, I, w- I just fell victim to that, my own sin in that way. I had to apologize to some of those people after the fact, after the Lord changed my heart and produced love in me. went back and apologized to those people. But I think that we're all at risk of the same thing. Letting differences, worldly differences, undermine our love for one another. So I'm going to pose this question to you all that Bart posed to me. Um, Bart asked me one time, uh, to what extent of disagreement finally justifies your lack of love? How, how How much of a dividing wall, how much of a disagreement does there have to be for us to finally wash our hands of that person and say, I'm not loving them. If we look to Christ's example, um, he loved his enemies whenever sin and the wrath of God separated us. And he loved us perfectly in this way. So is there any dividing, can we come up with any divide greater than that? Between one person and another? Can we come up with any, any divide greater than this, our sin that divided us from God? No, I don't think we can. And yet we still try to justify our lack of love because politics or theology or cultural differences. Those are just three examples of mine. Now, if, if we refuse to love our neighbor regardless of those things, then we're either um, just blatantly disregarding Christ's example or we think that those differences were greater than that which separated us from God those two things are very dangerous things so our, our love will never become like this chapter it will never become what the Lord wants it to be unless we continually turn to the source of our love continually again that's prayer that's God's word Turn to him through those things. Rely on him, uh, and then lastly, verses eight through thirteen. Paul says this: he says Christian love endures. Christian love endures. Listen, listen to his language here. He says, uh, "Love never ends." As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So, prophecy, tongues, knowledge—what are those three things? that he talked about earlier. Spiritual gifts, yeah. Um, so these things will pass away, uh, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I'll be honest, there's a lot here that Paul talks about that I don't exactly know exactly what he means. But this is what I know he's talking about. His main point here is that this love endures, right? The spiritual gifts like prophecy, tongues, knowledge that he's been talking about, he says those things are going to pass away. But love Love's going to endure into eternity. But uh, why is he saying this? Like, what, What's his motive in in bringing that up? Is this just a little trivia about the end times? Hey, love will stick around. No, I think what he's doing is he's, again, stressing the importance of love, like how he began this chapter, right? It's necessary. This thing is important, what we're doing, right? When we love one another, what we're doing is rehearsing for eternity, right? This is what we were created for. To love God and love one another perfectly. Right? And this is what we were created for. This is what we'll be doing for all of eternity when Christ returns. The only difference is we will love perfectly one another. And we will experience God's love fully. Right? Without the interruption of sin or death or pain or suffering. Right? Without any of the results of the fall, the curse will be undone. Christ returns. Our, our. Look at verse thirteen. Our, our faith is going to be sight. Our hope is going to be realized. And the love is going to continue, right? Love will continue. So we don't have to wait until then to engage in this love. We can start now. We can rehearse for eternity. So Paul stresses again the importance of this love and its necessity. In our life. so Will you bow with me as we close? Every time we hear the word of God, I believe that um, it is necessary for us to respond to it. And so I, I want to invite you guys to respond with me to God's word in a couple of maybe different ways. For some of us, I I invite you to respond to God's word for the first time with faith and repentance, right? And for the first time, trusting in what the Lord has done. For the first time, come to know your Savior who perfectly loves you to the point of even dying for you on a cross, right? I invite you to, for the first time, repent. That is, turn away from your rebellion of the Lord. Turn away from your sin. And and join this family of believers who loves one another because He first loved us. And for believers in the room, I I, would invite you to to join me in responding to God's word. Um, What I'll be doing is repenting. 'Cause there's so much in my life, so many areas, so many idols that I cling on to that interrupt my love, prevent my love toward you, toward my neighbor, toward God. And so I, I invite you to to join me in repenting of that and, and earnestly pleading toward God and begging him to produce this love in me. Because like we said, we can't we can't do it on our own in our own strength so in a moment we'll we'll sing and we'll pray together and I just want you to respond in whatever way the Lord's leading you Father God have your way with us lead us in the way that you'd have us respond to your word Father, make us a loving people. Do what we can absolutely not do, and that is change our hearts to look more like yours. Change us to be able to willingly and readily show uh, a a watching world love as patient, as kind, as not envious or boastful, not insist on its own way. Father, we'll we'll give you the glory. Whenever we see this change happen in our life, we'll know that this isn't something that we could do. And so we will be quick to, to praise you and give thanks to you, the giver of every good and perfect gift. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So stand and sing and respond to God's word together.